thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 85. Big things from small coincidences. Today we're going to talk about soul winning, how God uh, opens up opportunities for personal evangelism, and how the early church learned to step through those situations and to expect God to have organized uh, the coincidences just right so that you'd be talking to receptive people. Because, you know, some people are not receptive, and it's just going to turn into a fight, but other people are so hungry spiritually if somebody would only engage them. And that's what uh, today's lesson is all about, because God knows who those people are, and He wants you and He wants me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we're out and about in our work, and uh, He's going to connect us to these people. Well, we're in Acts chapter 6, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and uh, let me give you a little setup, because we had, um, this, this started with the story in the early part of Acts chapter 8, when Philip went down and preached the gospel in Samaria. Uh, you know, the kingdom is not a religion. The kingdom is like um, a supernatural medicine virus. It's the cure for everything that's wrong on earth. And it was smuggled to earth by Jesus in himself. And he spoke about himself in a similar metaphor as a seed, as this seed which needed to die. And if the seed would be would die, it could be planted in the earth and then it would take root and it would grow all across the nations in an organic way. And today's thread shows us how the kingdom spreads under the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit, who is the wind of God. And he blows this this health virus across the planet and it it goes from person to person to person. It works like that. And it gets inside of them and it begins to fix them. And then they spread it. You know, it's, you, you catch it more than you're taught it. And let's just do a real, real quick uh, recap of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. The city of Samaria, which is a detested place by a pious Jew, because these people intermarried with foreigners and took on their pagan ways. And they have this hybrid kind of spirituality, which is kind of Judaism, but it's got, you know, some syncretism with Greek thinking and, and other things like that. It's got them all confused spiritually. And a pious Jew would just avoid the region. But we know that Jesus went right through this region and had a tremendous harvest. And it was actually here that he turned to the disciples and said, uh, can you open your eyes and look at these fields? They're white unto harvest. Uh, you know, he saw the potential in the city of Samaria. And now the Holy Spirit has led Philip back to that city, and it has become a flashpoint of kingdom expansion. Philip brought the kingdom message, which is the gospel, and the heart of the gospel is the promise of change, that you can be changed, your family can be changed, your neighborhood, your city, your nation can be changed, this world can be changed. And then on the heels of Philip's preaching came Peter and John, and they laid hands on those who believed and had been baptized so that they would stop being uh, amazed spectators and they would instead become active participants. 
as the Holy Spirit pushes back the darkness and that everybody would be used, not just Philip, not just them, but that all the people of God would be used in a democratic way by the Holy Spirit as carriers of this change, agents of change among their people. And in verse 25, now the city is a, has a tremendous um, uh, expression of the kingdom. There's a big body of Christ there. There are lots of believers there. And now God uses this city as a base and as a feeder of resources. And it starts to become a mission-sending uh, group. And I, you know, I think that's God's plan for every church. Harvest, plant a church, grow those people, and now use the resources, the human resources and the financial resources of that group and turn this into an outreach church. And I think we make a mistake when we make our churches too nice and too big and it keeps getting more and more about us. And the New Testament church was about expansion and about outreach. You know, typically it's a good outreach to go to cities first. And the um, early church was not afraid of urban areas. They followed the Holy Spirit and they would establish strength in the cities and they would use the resources of those cities to do outreaches. Jesus' ministry was a little bit different. He was such an iconoclastic, institution-attacking, prophetic revolutionary that he did the opposite. Uh, he stayed in the countryside, and he built a swell of grassroots support, starting with rural areas. And then he moved toward the city, really only in his last year, and this was due to the danger and the conflict that always came because when he hit these urban areas, they were the institutional headquarters and he went there to do war against the institution and they were too strong in those areas. You, do, you didn't live long if you went there. And in truth, you know, he, he doesn't last uh, more than a week when he goes in in his last week into Jerusalem and he, you know, gloves off. He's in the temple every day. And you know, by the end of the week, those guys have done whatever they had to do to bring his death about. So he saw that, and he saw the, the importance of building his followership out in the rural areas, and then after they had strength in numbers, moved toward the cities, uh, issued God's word against those institutions, and sure enough, God brought them down and cracked their foundation, and then the kingdom began to take root in the cities of Israel also. So now through the death of Jesus, the resurrection, and most significantly in their life, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. His followers uh, are moving under the power of the Holy Spirit and something has cracked in the foundation of their nation. The, the spiritual, political, religious institutions of their nation have been judged by God and there's a crack in their foundation and there's a weakness. And they've come to the tipping point. And the Holy Spirit now urges action in the cities and he pushes them toward the cities and they have huge gains and the harvest comes immediately. And uh, as the record in Acts points out, there's three things that we see in this group of people. Number one, they were completely dedicated to Christ and to the kingdom cause. They were true believers. And secondly, they were all empowered by the Holy Spirit and they understood that any believer serious about God, uh, earnest about being an agent of the Holy Spirit, any believer can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do miracle signs 
and wonders. And because so many people were moving in the spirit in the early church, it, it just made them a very, very powerful force in their nation. Thirdly, they aggressively and boldly were looking for opportunities to declare the gospel to other people. And this is where I think, well, actually all three of these uh, are really uh, wake up, wake up messages to the modern church. You know, are we completely dedicated to Christ? Is there a true uh, purity in our belief toward God? Are, are our hands clean? Is our mind clean? Um, you know, they, someone said, and I think it's true that the, the strongest primary shaping influence in all of our lives as Christians is not Jesus. It's uh, secular media. We bathe ourselves in it, and every single day we have a steady diet of it. In America, American family consumes eight hours of television or more every single day. So I think we have to beef up the feeding that we get from God in prayer in the word, from fellowship with one another, from worship. Um, so number one, completely dedicated. Number two, empowered by the Holy Spirit. A real feeling that everybody in the body of Christ has the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in them and that they can be used by God. But number three, that we aggressively look for chances to share, not being forced to share, but looking for a chance, not just being nice people, you know but being prophetic voices, being evangelists, intending to find a way to share the gospel with people. That's the kind of people we had in the New Testament church. And that catches us up to where we're at. And in the middle of this Samaritan expansion, and Philip as the leader, uh, now with Peter and John in there too, also with apostolic authority, uh, leading also with Philip. And in the middle of all this Great success. Philip gets an unusual but a very clear message from God. And that message was, leave your success. Leave your success and go walk in the desert 120 miles away from here. Uh, his response, you know, I think in the modern church, we're used to also all this wrestling with God. Whereas, you know, Philip answers back and God works on Philip and they wrestle and God has to pull this away from him. That's not what happened. God said, leave your success and go out in the desert 120 miles away. And the scripture says in verse 27, so he arose and went. Just quit fighting God. Let's just submit to him and follow him because something good is at work in our life story when God does his work in us, when he gives us instructions and tells us things to do. It's good for us to do these things. And Philip got it. So when God said, leave your success because it's not yours, it's my success, my harvest, my kingdom, Philip said, yes, sir, where you want me to go? And he was gone out in the desert. And wouldn't you know it, right on time, just as Philip finishes a 120-mile walk, um, he gets to a point in the desert, and there on a road is an Ethiopian, a Gentile. The Jews are not yet reaching out to Gentiles very much. And here's an Ethiopian who is worshiping the Jewish God. And he is a high-ranking court official. Scripture said he had great authority. He was the official treasurer under the queen of Ethiopia. He's been in Jerusalem. And he has heard from the people talking there about the death 
and the alleged resurrection of Jesus and the events of Pentecost, because it wasn't just that the disciples said Jesus was alive. There were gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out in the street. Uh, this was this had become a huge movement. And this man is uh, he's coming back from that that experience in Jerusalem of hearing all these things talked about. And he just happens to be reading Isaiah and he just happens to be at the point in Isaiah where there's a prophecy about the death of the Messiah. You know, coincidences. God is so good at this. Uh, just think of all the things. Probably if you took away two of those things, uh, this meeting could never have happened. You know, if the guy had just left at a different time, he would have missed Philip. If he hadn't been uh, spiritually predisposed to listen to a message like Philip was going to bring him, he wouldn't have listened. Uh, I mean, he's primed, and the Holy Spirit has done all of this, and God does this all the time. When people come to Christ, it's never just uh, you know that out of the blue, we spoke to someone about Jesus and they believed. No, there's been a hundred things that have happened before that moment that have brought those people to a place of readiness, and a whole lot more characters have been involved in the drama and Many times I find when I dig down in, uh, we shared recently with a young lady from China. And, uh, you know, it turned out that within her family tree, she had two grandmothers that had had a, um, some kind of experience with a form of Christianity. So, you know, God is doing his work. So the Lord speaks to Philip and says, you know, run up, get, get aggressive here. Run up there and get near, run past his chariot and go talk to him. And I love the interaction because the Holy Spirit gives the cue to Philip. And then it's like he rushes him. He does this to us all the time. He rushes us on stage without a script. And he just says, go there and then action. You just do what comes to you naturally. And he doesn't tell Philip anything else. Just run catch up to that chariot and then do what do what you know to do. And, you know, verses 30 through 35, you know, are the story of this interaction. Philip runs up, he hears the man reading from Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He acted very boldly, but he had circumstances on his favor. So this man has a bodyguard, and Philip just addresses him through his chariot. Hey, do you know what you're reading? I hear you reading this scripture about the, the sheep being led to the slaughter and not opening his mouth um, and having his life taken. And the eunuch understands this is, this is a prophetic passage. And he says, well, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip, verse 35, started with the opportunity that he had. And the verse said, Philip opened his mouth. And that's where we have to start if we're going to evangelize. Be nice to people, look for a chance to talk to them, and then start talking. Uh, Philip opened his mouth and began with that scripture. You know, you start with where people are. And he preached Jesus. He didn't preach Christianity. He didn't preach the Jerusalem church. He didn't talk about how great Peter is uh, and John and how faithful, you know, his leaders are or how bad the Jewish system is or how unjust the Roman government is to be dominating them. He just talked about Jesus. He just talked about And this is a multiracial event. You know, so I just I love it how the Holy Spirit is breaking down barriers. They come to a place in verse 36. What a responsive heart this man has. He's prepared by the Holy Spirit and on his own, 
He is earnestly seeking the truth. He, Philip has declared to him that in order to be right with God, you have to repent and you need to be baptized. And the man sees water. You know, Philip doesn't just leave him talking about Christ. He tells him what he needs to do to be right with God. And the man said, look, there's water. What would stop me from being baptized? In verse 37, Philip said, if you believe and believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And so they stopped the chariot, go down to the water, spiritual, you know, there's spiritual authority at that moment. And God has given that authority to Philip, authority to open doors, authority to close doors. Philip believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the, that is the belief of a true disciple. And this man says, Philip says, what do you believe? And the man said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they say, all right, that's it. And Philip takes him down to the water. He baptizes him, and God does a miracle. And this is a very important event also because it leads to the conversion of Ethiopia and Ethiopia, uh, ancient Abyssinia, uh, Ethiopia becoming a, uh, a Christian sort of the Christian center of North Africa ever since that day. I mean, they've been surrounded by Islam from the, I guess that would be the 700s um, and beyond, and yet there's always been this respect in the region because Ethiopia always had this Christian core all the way from this event. So this man goes back and evangelizes his queen and evangelizes his nation, Uh but in verse 39, God gives that man a sign. It says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord, and notice that name for the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the Lord Jesus. The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So he's just like teleported. And he's, he's verse 40, he was found 40 miles away in Azotus, about 30 miles away. And he starts preaching. I believe all this happens for the sake of that eunuch. The eunuch looks around, sees him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. And Philip stays. <laughs> this is interesting. When the Holy Spirit drops Philip down in Azotus, it's not that huge a place. Philip doesn't stay there. He just, I mean, he, he, he doesn't leave there. He anchors down, calls for his family, resettles himself in that area, and he spends the next 20 years of his life preaching in that region all the way up the coast to Caesarea. So, you know, that's how God will use us if we will open our heart and allow the Lord to organize circumstances and when he does, step up and open up our mouth and engage people because they're out there. They're everywhere. And if we say, Lord, I'm willing, would you send me today someone who needs your help? Why don't you just pray that prayer every day this week? Lord, send me today someone who needs your help. And then here's all you got to do. Listen to people. Just tune into people. And someone's going to tell you a problem. And when they tell you about their problem, just take that as the, as the sign from God that this person is a prepared heart and they need you to speak to them. All you have to do is very simple. Brag on Jesus. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them what Jesus has done for others. And promise them. Jesus has a plan for them and Jesus can change their life because that's the core message in the gospel. A promise of change 
from God. And then the final thing, offer to pray for them on the spot. Lead them to do the thing that they need to do to be right with God. And that is they need to repent, they need to be baptized, and they need to follow and obey the teachings of the Lord. So may God use you all over the world, my brothers and sisters. I know we've got listeners from many different countries. And may God use you in your nation as all of us imitate Philip and allow the Holy Spirit to use us to spread this wonderful healing power from God, the kingdom, as it comes on the earth. If you'd like to talk to me directly, I would love to hear from you. Chuck at Quinley.com. That's all for now. See you next time on Fred. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com.